Welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks for having me, Matt. Sure. So I've been in the blockchain crypto space for some time now. I got my start in 2017 when the price of Bitcoin started going up the first time. But before that, I was working on a Vanguard derivatives trading desk in traditional finance and started getting interested. The price started going up. I started listening to podcasts in the gym, kind of spending all my free time researching and really stopped doing my job and just started researching crypto all day. And eventually I came to a point where, yeah, I stopped doing my job. My manager noticed. So I had to have that conversation. I basically said, hey, we need to settle all of our derivative transactions on a blockchain and we need to launch a crypto trading desk for our clients. And in 2017, there was really no market for it. It was really ludicrous for me to say that, I think. And so I left and I joined a startup called ICOalert.com, which was the essentially coin market cap for ICOs. And if you Googled ICO, we were the top search result on Google. And we were a marketplace that allowed retail investors to connect and invest in the blockchain startups themselves. So I my job as second employee was to aggregate 50 to 100 data points on every blockchain startup that ever existed at the time to provide investors that objective information. So that went well. We scaled the company to 30 plus people over the course of the first bull run. And then the market collapsed because the ICOs didn't manage their treasury well. They were holding Bitcoin and Ether and it was down 85%. So they had no money to pay us as the marketplace to connect those participants. So I moved on to Hewlett Packard Enterprise. I worked in their blockchain innovation lab on enterprise blockchain solutions. So think about immutability, track and trace, supply chain management type solutions for enterprises and their customers. So I did that for about three years up until about a year ago when I decided that I'm just going to start building stuff in Web3 again. And so that's when I started building at Enter the Void. So there's a lot of questions I could ask out of that. When did you make the transition to, okay, Bitcoin is, it's worth a lot of money, so it's good for my pocketbook. When did you transfer that into, okay, and there's other applications for this blockchain tool? Yeah, that's a good question. So my initial thought progression was at first in 2017 was that Bitcoin is money. It's a global decentralized digital non-sovereign hard cap supply, store value. And it's the most important use case in the blockchain space. That was my initial thought. And so it deserves a spot in any investor's portfolio. But, and that was my initial stance for maybe 2017. And then, but as I kept going, kept learning, and I realized that there's just no way that this is going to be the only use case for blockchain technology. In 20, quickly in early 2018, I realized that. And that's why I decided to join an ICO company. We deal with everything in between besides Bitcoin, all the new startups. That's when I started to think about what applications are possible here. And actually the next big application is the operating system layer of the internet. So that's the second use case that with a massive total addressable market, so these are things in web two, like Macintosh OS, Windows, and Linux, these operating systems of the internet. And that's essentially what these layer one blockchains are trying to recreate. Yeah. And so how did you, when did you transition into doing the NFT stuff? When the market collapsed in 2018, there was a lot of talk and a lot of speculation within the company and then within the crypto community about what use case is going to be next, right? When the market does rebound. 
And there was a lot of talk about security tokens as being that compliant, real world type solution for blockchain. And it just didn't pan out. They just didn't get adoption. And they're still struggling with adoption. Although you could, there's an argument to be made that this time around, four years later, there's a bigger demand from institutions to get into tokenizing real world assets. And I think there's some validity there. But there, and then the other side of it was that there was some talk of NFTs, but not in 2018, 2019. Largely dismissed it at first. Just, you know, profile pictures. I get that it's unique, but what's the value? And that was just incorrect thinking on my part. So I largely missed the first wave of NFTs from an investment standpoint. I was certainly watching. and But then I realized that, hey, there's certainly going to be something to come some use cases to come out of NFTs, and it's probably not going to be profile pictures. It's going to be something with more utility. And that was when I realized that, oh, okay, there, the opportunity here in crypto broadly, but NFTs specifically, is really in the infrastructure. So these are solutions that make building complex NFTs that have real use cases, making these things possible. So developing the infrastructure that was just not there to support anything else besides selling a collection. And that is essentially the thought process that led to creating Enter the Void. Yeah. Have you been seeing anybody out there that's doing some cool things? I, we hadn't talked about Enter the Void yet, but other people that are doing some cool things that have actual utility with NFTs? It's very few and far between right now. A lot of the companies are at their earliest stages, but there is some cool things around in interfacing with the metadata of NFTs. So think about upgradable traits on an NFT, making those NFTs be able to be dynamic and evolve, especially within kind of metaverse or gaming type applications. This is where we're seeing kind of traction right now that call it the next NFTs 2.0. So yeah, dynamic traits of all kinds is where the market is heading right now. And with those dynamic traits, does that mean if I pay and I'm throwing out fake numbers here, but if I pay $10, I get access to this type of utility. But if I pay $1,000, I get access to another level of identity. So do I, is that what you're talking about with dynamic traits or are you talking about something else? That's actually a perfect segue into what I'd like to discuss about the NFT market. Yes, you're on, you're certainly correct and on the right track. So you're, what you're mentioning is that monetization, right? How do NFT communities drive revenue? And this is what NFT, all NFT communities are struggling with right now. It's this problem that we call the burden of more. So when you sell an NFT collection, you know, you have a community, they're interested, they bought the NFT, they paid for the NFT, and that is the essentially a one-time revenue generation opportunity for the NFT collection. And then there's nothing else. How do the NFT communities generate revenue beyond that? They largely don't. So what we're trying to build and enter the void is a way for NFT communities to deliver revenue generating applications that interface directly with their existing NFT that don't compromise the security or uniqueness of the NFT, but can allow for dynamic, upgradable, and really all new use cases moving towards NFTs as applications 
that can be used within these ecosystems. So I do think that's where the market is heading. And what we're trying to do is provide the infrastructure for existing NFT communities to deliver utility and value in whatever way they see fit, providing like a developer tool to enable these new use cases. Interesting. So you're, so enter the void is providing the infrastructure for other people to build NFTs on. That's correct. So if you think about Polygon or Matic as a scalability solution to Ethereum, we're not doing that. We're, what we're doing is a logic scaling solution that allows developers to actually build, reduce the cost and complexity to build applications that interface directly with those NFTs. And you, and you don't have to talk specifically about your dream clients or whatever, but who are you going after? Are you going after the Nikes to bring their NFTs onto your infrastructure? Or are you going after like individual creators? Who like is your dream client? Um, can you talk about that? Sure. So our go-to-market strategy is targeting existing NFT communities. Mm. So think about Bored Apes, those types of high-profile communities. That's not where we'll start, but that's where we're going. And again, to allow these communities to deliver revenue-generating applications whether it's games, decentralized giveaways of some part, this is a low-hanging fruit, but really the possibilities are endless on our feeless sidechain network that interfaces directly with existing NFTs. That's cool. And are you said games a couple times. Is that where you see the NFT growth happening is in part in games? Yes, I, that's definitely where I see the NFT, the NFT market picking up traction right now with things like Immutable X and these gaming platforms that are blockchain based. But I think that it, I really see it as the tip of the iceberg. And really what we're focused on is enabling use cases beyond that. But we are starting with called them mini games that that existing NFT communities can deliver to their community. Yeah. Is it hard managing people that are working with you for Enter the Void? And I would assume at some level y'all are somewhat remote. Is that difficult to manage? I would say there there are certainly some challenges there. Um, my general opinion, just from being part of a couple different startups over my career, is that startups are certainly best suited to be in person because there's a lot of iteration, there's pivots, Every day, there's a little, a small change in kind of the direction. And so certainly I would say that if you can, if you're a startup, try and be in person. Yeah. What are you working on now in, with Void? What are you, what's on your plate? Sure. What we've, we developed and we stumbled across it a handful of months ago is this novel non-fungible gadget protocol. So we're building an NFT infrastructure protocol that other developers can leverage. And we stumbled into this kind of call it, yeah, an invention a couple months ago. So what we're focused on right now is really just testing out with a small group of developers, figuring out what use cases are possible and what use cases do we want to focus on and to, to our users. So. The first that we're starting with is, like I mentioned, dynamic, interchangeable, upgradable traits. 
And the second use case on the horizon is, is around decentralized giveaways. So there's all these giveaways on social media, Twitter, Reddit, and they're usually scams and there's no real way to ensure the integrity of them and to show, yeah, to show that they're actually fair and real or not just a marketing pump and dump, but we can actually put that business logic on chain. And that is really the core innovation here. And so we're just, we're looking at different use cases to, to deliver this solution. But the end, the result, the end result here is that opening up a whole new class of NFTs that's possible. Interesting. And are you building a platform to where a developer that's not attached to an NFT can come on and try to build something? Are you building a platform to where an NFT that have a developing team and they come on your platform? Because I'm thinking back to maybe 25 years ago when Microsoft CEO was standing up there, the guy after Bill Gates, whoever that was, and he was like, developers build. You don't have to work for Microsoft, but build. So are you building something that all developers can come on or are you building something that developers partnered with NFTs can? question so our the non-fungible gadget gadget protocol nfgp allows for any developer to build in the blockchain space in any programming language they want that's one of the core innovations here that cool. developers don't need to know solidity or rust or any of these languages they can actually start delivering value immediately in in a language and stack agnostic solution wow huh How'd you come up with that idea? For your team, not you. That's a great Our CTO came up with the idea after a lot of trial and error in terms of how can we deliver, how can we deliver more va value to existing NFT communities? And how can we turn NFT applications into software applications. So we really see NFTs as software as a service applications that eventually can be tradable. And the way that we do this is with data types. So developers can and sell off the shelf different data types, which are essentially tokenized code. They're like Lego blocks that developers can build and leverage to speed up the development time and deliver these NFT applications at a fraction of the cost and time. And that's really the core innovation around how do we enable developers to one, get compensated for their open source contributions. And two, they can essentially buy data types off our data type explorer and leverage them to build applications. And every time these data types get used, the original developer will receive royalties on it. So this is how we incentivize and allow developers to monetize their open source contributions, which is just not possible in the open source developer community today. Yeah. So I, I think I have gone through a transition in between like how I felt about NFTs when I first heard about them I was like, no, they're a scam. And then I was like, yeah, they provide some value. And then I was like, no, they're a scam. And now I believe in NFTs in some categories. I really do. Are there some things that have happened in the last two years that you saw coming 
in the blockchain, NFT, whatever space. Did you see, and I don't mean to go into like the founder of some organizations that are being investigated now, but did you see some of those alarm bells ringing or what? what's your progression of T's and their use case in the public and the maybe the scammers that have been out there? So there's a lot of similarities between the ICO bubble in 2018 and the NFT bubble last year. And, and there's a saying that goes that if history doesn't necessarily repeat, repeat itself, but it rhymes. I think <laughs> this is true in this scenario. Whereas the ICOs, it was essentially, it was a pump and dump, right? It was, you're selling someone on a vision of that this token is actually tied to the underlying fundamentals of the business. Like you would, you would assume investing in equity in a startups, but the reality is that it wasn't equity, right? And 99% of these ICOs failed and the investors were left with nothing. And then, and the NFTs, the same thing happened, right? It was really around selling, selling your participation, selling your belonging to a community and really a one-time sale of those NFTs. But then there's there, these NFT collections are left or the investors in the NFT are left holding the bag because they can't, these NFT communities are unable to really deliver real value to their community, right? It's more around, yeah, it's really around the art and the aesthetics of the NFT. And that is what we're trying to solve, right? It's to bring complex business logic and utility on chain to allow these NFT communities to deliver value to their stakeholders. Are you building a community with um, your NFT project within it avoid, do you have a community of developers? Do you have a community of anybody? And if so, how, how do you do that? Yeah. So you can definitely check out our discord and Twitter. So we have a vibrant community. It's certainly not my lane of the business. We have over 6,000 Twitter followers and wow. over a thousand discord members. And it's, it, I'm glad you bring it up because this is that's how we got started is that we developed an epic or a, a fantasy type storyline that allowed the community members to follow along and essentially solve riddles and puzzles to kind of a sci-fi type fantasy type call it a minigame or an epic is what we call it and that's how we built started to building our community and we and we haven't so, we haven't sold any NFT yet, but we're planning on doing that. So that's yeah. So we certainly have a community, and that's how we got started. And do who would you say is in that community? Is it mostly developers, mostly fans, mostly enthusiasts? Who do y'all attract? Sure. So we certainly have developers that we're cultivating that community to allow them to build new NFT use cases. But a large portion of our community is is enthusiasts of the layer one that we built on initially. And this is the Constellation Network. So that is essentially has been our community, and we've grown to be the biggest the biggest type of community on that layer one. That's cool. Anything else about Enter the Void that you'd like to share? Yeah. So if you're a developer, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. We can, we're cultivating a community of initial beta testers who can actually get access, a full suite of access to our API. And that actually allows developers to 
potentially monetize their work by being early and contributing value to the ecosystem initially. So if you're a developer, please reach out. Also, if you're interested in our a sci-fi fantasy type game environment and community, there's also a place for you in our Discord. And how can they connect with you guys if they hear this? How can they connect with you guys? So you can reach us on Twitter at EnterTheVoidNFT. Our website is EnterTheVoid.io, and you can get to our Discord there, and that's probably the best way. Okay. Thanks, Joe. I think you you are definitely a lot more capable mentally, a lot more astute than I am, but thanks for coming on and sharing your story. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate mm -hmm. it. Yep.